You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! This week's episode of That One Time on Tour is brought to you by the band Pilot Run. Pilot Run is a great up-and-coming UK band who is offering their new single for free download to listeners of this podcast. Once you listen to the song, pause the podcast, go to the details, and there will be a link so you can get your free copy of their new single, Ghost of Me. Please check out Pilot Run at all the social medias, Facebook.com, Instagram.com, at Pilot Run Band, and SoundCloud.com, at Pilot Run. So here it is, their new single, Ghost of Me.
Welcome to episode seven of that one time on tour. As always, I'm your host, Chris Swinney, and uh, this week's episode is a lot of fun for me. I get to sit down and talk with uh, Jake Twiggins, ex-drummer for the Ataris. Uh, Jake played in my other band, The Widow Jenkins. Uh, we have a really cool history. Uh, we talk about all kinds of stuff and barely scratch the surface. So I'm very excited for you guys to check that out. It is a long one, so I'm going to keep this short. Uh, if you heard at the beginning of the podcast, we have a sponsor now. Uh, the band Pilot Run from the UK was our first band sponsor. I've got a couple more in the works, but if you're interested in that, please hit me up uh, at podcast at gmail.com, and I'll give you all the details on how you too can become a sponsor of the show. Uh, also, check us out on all the social media, TOTOT Podcast, and uh, that's it. So here it is, my conversation with my good buddy, Jake Dwiggins, ex-member of the Ataris. Jakey D, what's going on, man? Hey, what's up, man? Nothing. I have not spoken to you in a long time. So how are you? I'm well. I know it's been it's been years. I don't I don't even know how many years. I feel like it's probably been like six or seven years or something. I think I think uh, one time when I was home visiting family from Alabama, I saw you at a gas station just randomly. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> I pulled up to the gas station. I forgot and, about that. Yeah, you you were there, and our our buddy Daniel was there. Like like it was kind of strange. Wait, is that when I wrecked? I think that is when you wrecked. You'd you'd come over to the gas station because you wrecked. <laughs> I don't know if you remember how bad that was, but I ramped the median in front of that Richter's there and rolled my car several times and kind of hobbled over to the gas station. Yeah, I remember it being pretty bad. I just remember it was strange because, you know, I pulled up. I'd just, like, flown in and driven from the airport, and I stopped there. And, hey, friends of mine that I haven't seen in, like, four years. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, you and I played together in a couple bands. We we toured together. We've we've done a lot of stuff uh, as far as music goes. But uh, you know, this being that one time on tour podcast, we'll get to some of the tour talk. But what I think, what I'm interested in, in kind of getting out there, and maybe some of the people would like to hear, is kind of how we met. So I would like to take your, I would like yeah. to hear your take on how you and I sort of came together as friends. Yeah, absolutely. So it's funny. I was just thinking about this the other day, but um, remember I was 15 and my aunt had brought like a, a monthly newspaper to my mom that had like the, uh, like it was rock and roll summer camps ad for, you know, first year, and um, you know, brought it over to see if it was something I might be interested in. And like my initial thought, I was, you know, a little, punk shithead i was like do i look like someone who would go to a fucking music summer camp (laughs) but then i i remember like you know reading about you and brian and what struck me right away was that you had played with undermined and undermined i was one of my favorite bands at the time so i was like okay i'll i'll get into this so yeah i remember uh you know signing up for camp and coming in and 
was like nervous. I was in my first band at the time, but I don't even think we had played a show yet. What was the like, name? What was the name like of that practicing. band? It was the Dire. The Dire. Okay. So yeah. It was like a yeah. It was I, like I remember a, that. It's like a, yeah. I mean, it was it was cool. It was like thrash band. It was kind of like you know in the vein of municipal waste and slayer kind of thing. So it was uh it was fun for me. But yeah, we hadn't ever played a show yet, so I was a little awkward when it came to you know, having any kind of confidence in playing in front of people. So, like, I remember first day of the camp, it was, you know, typical orientation stuff. We hadn't played our instruments yet, but it was the second day. I remember that we all had to, like, go up on stage and kind of play our instrument to determine what our capabilities were. And, like, I didn't really do anything <laughs> that was, you know, to write home about. It was yeah. just kind of a... I'm nervous and I'm going to play a simple whatever. And it wasn't until later. I feel like we had taken like a, a little break and I'd asked if I could go up and play because it felt like if everyone was occupied doing something else, I could, you know, actually go up there and play as I can. But I remember, uh, as I was doing that, everyone in the room just kind of stopped doing what they're doing and just watched me playing. And then I finished and it was, you know, like a weird standing ovation, which was awesome. <laughs> and then, uh, you and Brian approached me and was like, Hey, we've got a band <laughs> and you know, would you be interested in drumming? So I was like, absolutely. That'd be fucking awesome. So, and realistically I was kind of screaming like, this is the best thing that could happen. So, <laughs> It's, we we were fun. very we were very kind of taken aback because I remember I think we broke for lunch and we're all just kind of hanging out in the room and kids are ordering food at the little window where you could get snacks and right. all of a sudden I hear this double bass and I look around and, I, and Brian and I kind of look at each other and we're like okay this kid's fifteen but the band that we were <laughs> the band we were into the time was a band called the Widow Jenkins and we had broken up while a while back and then we gotten back together and we had didn't have a drummer. So I heard right. I heard you play and I was just like, man, this I don't care how old this kid is. I'll pick him up. I'll help him with his homework, like whatever I have to do. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's ultimately what ended up happening. I feel like I remember there was a point to where my mom had brought me to like what that gas station off of 28 and Wheeling. Yeah. And you pick me up and take me to, you know, your house. We could practice from there, which is funny like a custody drop off <laughs> okay yeah so we uh so that worked out really well and we recorded uh you know we were we we added joel green to the band also from emory joel green and yeah. uh, we we recorded some songs recorded an ep and we we did a couple little tours they weren't anything really great but uh then it was uh, my first tour experience you know what i mean like that was my first real time on the road which I think at that point I was 16. Do you remember anything from, from those like pretty bare bones things we did back then? Yeah, I do actually. I remember, I'll always remember Greer and like staying around Joel's hometown. And I remember, I don't remember where we were, but I remember that we had pulled into a parking lot of like a Walmart or something to sleep overnight in the van. And I think that Brian had slept in like the trailer in that little cubby area or like luggage storing area that he built into the trailer. And I slept on top of the van, like <laughs> I climbed up that back ladder thing on the back of the van and, and slept up there. And I, I remember waking up to 
a downpour. Like it just started pouring down rain. So I was like scurrying off the van to try to get into it. And, was soaked, I, I think I remember yeah. that because I was inside the van sleeping and all of a sudden like we heard this crazy noise. We thought that you'd fallen <laughs> off, which I'll tell you a story. This kind of has nothing to do with that tour. But when I was on tour, I was on warp tour with the band Brazil and you get, yeah. you get to warp tour. I mean, you know, you've done it like, like I have, you get there super early in the morning and sometimes you're there before they open up the gates or whatever. So everybody's trying to find a place to sleep and it was really right. hot in the van. So I slept on top of the trailer and when the guy came around to like yell and say, Hey, it's, it's time to come in. It's time to come in. I freaked out and rolled off the trailer and caught my leg on the hitch of the trailer. And I was on crutches for like four days and I had this massive gash in my thigh that I almost had to go like get my leg cut off. It was, it wasn't fun. <laughs> so you were playing at that point. Like, yeah, know, yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, it was funny because when I was young, I, I went and saw Suicidal Tendencies when they opened up for Metallica, and Mike Murr from Suicidal had a broken leg, so the whole gig he just sat on a couch and like rocked out. So like, I, I was thinking in my head, I'm like, can I like sit down and play bass? Like, what can I do? You, you didn't get like a Dave Grohl thrown or anything. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get that. No, I did not get that. <laughs> So, that's funny. So, so I'm glad that you didn't injure yourself in the in the yeah. Board. Luckily, I'm I'm surprised. I was also young and agile at that point. If it happened now, I I would have broken something. I'm sure. And I think I seem to remember there was a story. I wasn't really there because part of that part of that last tour the Widow Jenkins did. I had some family stuff going on at home, and you guys went out and did it with me, but I, or without me. But I think there was a story like you guys put a sandwich on the amp or something and said it was me. Do you remember that? <laughs> I don't remember that. Brian tells me that story all the time. Brian's like, yeah, we had this like ham sandwich that somebody got at the gas station and like they, they wrote Chris on it or something. They put it on stage. He's like, yeah, there's Chris. He's our other guitarist right there. I don't know why I don't remember that, but I don't remember that at all. That's I mean, I, I wasn't there, so I don't know if it really happened or Brian was just bullshitting me, but I, you know. I mean, it probably happened. It sounds like something that like Brian and Aaron would have done together or something. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, so we've kind of gone back to the beginning. Uh, so then, you know, we're in the Widow Jenkins. Uh, the Widow Jenkins. We. I don't know if you remember all of the all of the logistics of this, but uh, we actually had Brian and I had set up a, a kind of like a showcase with Victory. Do you remember us talking about that? I do. I remember that, and I I also. I feel like there was also some interest from like Razor and Ty. Was yeah, that there, a thing? There, there was some interest from them, and uh, we were talking to a couple of their A and R guys. And the the Victory Showcase was pretty much set up. And like the day that I was calling everybody to tell them about it, Adam quit. Yeah, I do remember that. I remember thinking like it seemed as if the possibility of something happening with the Wither Jenkins kind of, you know, like spooked them a little bit. Yeah, like we were actually Sorry. getting somewhere. We were kind of getting some recognition, and people were starting to take notice. And as soon as it's like, oh, we might sign a contract. Okay, well, I'm done. Right, right. So then we're, you know, at that point, still trying to find someone to, to fill the shoes who had the, you know, the range of the vocal capabilities to still keep that unique thing that we had going on. Yeah. So, and, and that kind of, you know, leads up to when uh, we met Mr. Chris Rowe. Right. So I do, <laughs> I'll never forget this. So I remember getting a phone call from you and it must've been like, I was on, 
summer break in between like my junior and senior year of high school. And I remember you calling me and saying, Hey, have you heard of the band of the Ataris? And it's like, well, yeah, of course. And you said something like, do you want to play drums for them? <laughs> I was like, yeah, sure. Okay. You know, just thinking it was total bullshit. And then you're like, well, come to the studio tomorrow. We're going to, we're going to jam with them or something like that. So, I mean, the entire way to the studio, I thought this was a joke. And then of course I get there and Chris Rose sitting in the, the control room and talking with you and Brian. And that, like at that point, that's when it hit me. I'm like, this isn't real. This is, there's no way. How did this, how did you guys even meet, you know? But I kind of remember, I feel like, didn't you email him or something to ask you? We'd found out that he moved back to Anderson. Yeah. And told him about the studio and, you know, asked if he had any interest in, you know, working at the studio. And then I know that, didn't he play at the launch pad? Yeah, I think so. Brian and I like knew that he'd moved back and like, and we'd met him in passing a few times back in the day, just my old band, Chronic Chaos, you know, playing with him and whatnot. And so I just kind of hit him up and I said, Hey, I know you're back in Anderson. Um, You know, we have this studio if you ever want to use it. And I said, and by the way, my band is looking for a singer. I don't know what's going on with the Ataris. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I remember. So and he, I remember he'd heard us because yeah. of the launch pad sampler. Yeah, he he'd had that. He, he checked us out before. So that was what happened. Like he got back to me. A lot of people listening to this podcast might not know exactly, you know, how this all went down. But uh Chris hit me back. He actually called me back and he said, you know, I don't really know if I want to get into another project right now because I'm trying to, you know, reboot the Ataris. But he's like, I've heard your band and I think you guys are pretty stellar. You guys want to be in the Ataris? <laughs> right. And just absorbed yeah, so you know, Chris, the majority Chris, of the Widow Jenkins. <laughs> Chris absorbed uh, two or three sixths, half, I guess, not three sixths, half of the Widow <laughs> Jenkins. <laughs> so, right. So, uh, you know, things kind of started happening pretty quickly after that. Uh, you know, our first show was out in Vegas with Carolina Liar and a lot of others. Which was what, like three weeks later? Yeah, like, three, like it was three it weeks was later. Immediate. It was almost immediate. Like he had shows booked and he's like, okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> and Literally, it, was, it was just like, Hey, you're in the band and this is, this is what's going on for the, <laughs> the next year yeah, the or next, whatever. The next was. year your life is planned out, you know? Right. So do you, I mean, I, I like, I, I want to get your perspective on it because, you know, Brian and I being older and, you know, playing in bands for a long time and doing a lot of touring and, you know, even being in other signed bands and different things. I mean, it was, a it was pretty cool for us because, you know, the Ataris, they were at a certain level and, uh, you know, it meant something to be in a band like that. But for someone like right. you, who was a lot younger, like what was your perspective on it? What were your parents' per- perspective? I mean, you turned, didn't you turn 18 in Vegas or 17? It or? was, I turned 18, like, a day or two after the Vegas show. So it was okay. just a couple days before my 18th birthday when we played. Um, but yeah, when it, I guess when it happened, of course I knew who the Ataris were. I, I just, I felt like I'd made it. Like I had made the right decisions and, you know, suddenly two years after I meet you, this, this, <laughs> you know, here, here I am. I'm, a, I'm the drummer for the Ataris now. And it, it was a big deal. I knew they were a big band. I knew that, you know, they had 
a lot of success with so long Astoria. Obviously that was my introduction. To, um, it just, I, I knew that it was a big deal and that I had a very special opportunity before me. So I was ready to milk it for everything it was worth. And, you know, yeah. I just remember a, a lot of the interviews that we did, uh, cause you, you, <laughs> you and I did quite a few together. People would say like, right. like, are the, are the songs hard to play? Was it hard to learn the songs? <laughs> and I just remember being like, have you heard our other band? <laughs> right. Cause you, like, no, you obviously haven't heard our other band. Like I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from the songs. I mean, there's some, no. there's some strange, you know, time signatures and strange like, accents. Well, absolutely. but I mean, as far as. You know, going from what we were doing, and anybody listening out there, if you haven't checked out the Widow Jenkins, uh, we we do have a single, My Israel, that was on a compilation that's available on iTunes, so you can go to there or Spotify, just search for the Widow Jenkins, and you can kind of tell what we're talking about. It's right. The Ataris were great, but the Widow Jenkins, we were, we were a little bit more. Uh, I don't know. We were showing off for the musicians and not just the regular people. <laughs> right. It was it was always more intricate, but. I know, obviously, there are, like, older Atari's records, as far as, like, the, the faster songs, drum-wise. Those were, you know, some of those had the interesting time signatures and changes and accents that, you know, kind of threw me for a loop here and there. But for the most part, it was it was easy. Like, I was yeah. able to relax and, and play without focusing too much on something. So uh, why don't you t- take me back to then when we started actually touring? Because I mean, we did you know there at the beginning it was pretty, pretty brutal touring circuit. We'd go out for a month or two, come back, go out. For, I mean, it, it, there was a lot of stuff there at the beginning when we got in. Uh, what do you remember about all that? I remember my biggest thing with that, even though I'd been in other bands that were signed, was wow, we actually get hotels every night. It was pretty crazy. Right. <laughs> yeah, I felt spoiled. I, just, I mean, I've done tours since then, and I, I still felt spoiled, but. Um, I don't, I don't remember the exacts of the schedules within that first year or where we were, but I do remember, I mean, when we started really touring, it was my senior year of high school. So I remember that I would leave for like six or seven weeks at a time. And, you know, I had to have like a meeting with the principal of my school and my teachers to let them know like, Hey, I've got this once in a lifetime opportunity here. And I, I don't want to drop out of school. I really want you guys to be okay with this. So they were on board. They were awesome about it. The, everyone, the faculty and staff at my high school, you know, they, they loosely designed a special curriculum for me to be able to continue school while on the road. So That's I, great. you know, I would take assignments with me, do whatever test when I got back and I remember, I remember you uh, having your books with you. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, I got, literally, room. it was. <laughs> I'd have books and assignments and papers, and I would still have to, you know, do things. Which I was never, even when I was full time in school, I was. I wouldn't say that I half asked everything, but I kind of did. I did well in school. I skated by, so it was. I, I'd never underperformed, but I was also like. You know, I wasn't the person who was a bookworm studying weeks on end for tests or anything. It just kind of came easy for me. So, so yeah, I mean, I did what work I needed to do while on the road. And, you know, I obviously I graduated high school, so it was, it was fine. But I just, I remember how weird that was for people at my high school when I would come back after being gone for so long. Because to them, you know, they're seeing 
me and as this like larger than life person now i've got this awesome day job that i'm doing to where i'm gone for months and traveling the world and come back to school hang out for another couple weeks and leave again (laughs) so (laughs) it was it was that for a while and then that kind of you know takes me to the hoodwink and bamboozle festivals which was kind of that's what I, that's what of. I wanted to I wanted to talk about that because <laughs> that's when things, I mean for you I mean that that's one of the best stories that I tell all the time, is uh, okay so I'll, I'll kind of preface it and then you can you can take me through it, so we're playing the bamboozle festival but the night before we're playing the hoodwink festival, the hoodwink festival is where bands would uh, this is all at Giant Stadium out in uh, New Jersey, but uh, right bands of the hoodwink festival would play like a classic band like we did the misfits anti-flag did the clash bayside did no effects right and and we we were hanging out with the anti-flag guys they played right after we did our misfits set so that was all well and good that i don't know if you remember that day i think it was that either that day or the next yeah it was that day our van got broken into and they stole my brand new video camera yeah i totally forgot about that they busted the lock through the door on the on the driver's side door and i mean i remember luckily we had backed up against like a a cement wall or a a telephone pole or something so they couldn't get to the gear in the van but i remember they'd taken like your camera and did they take a laptop and i think they took i think they took an ipod and a laptop and a camera and i just remember like the only guitar that was accessible was like my 1977 Gibson Les Paul Custom, and it was sitting right next yeah. to the camera. They took the camera but yeah. left the guitar. Right. Which, which I was happy about that. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's one thing. Like, that's that's not easily replaced. Yeah. <laughs> so I totally forgot about that. I, just, yeah, I remember, I remember... We, we walked out, and we opened up the van, and I was like, why is there shit what? all over the van and there's stuff missing? Like, it, it, I didn't, it didn't compute right. with me, you know? Yeah, it was... That was insane. And then, of course, that was that was like a Friday when yeah. we did Hoodwink. And I remember, like, we did our Misfits set. A couple of the guys from Anti-Flag came up and sang along for, you know, a couple of the songs. And it was awesome because I grew up loving Anti-Flag. They were one of my favorite bands. So it, that, for me, was an awesome moment to where, you know, I'm, I'm playing with people I had admired growing up. So that was really cool for me. And then... You know, the next day, Saturday. Yeah, so take us to the next day because this is the best story ever. <laughs> no one else has so, a story like this in their band. It's still surreal. Uh, I mean, Saturday morning, I fly from New Jersey back to Indianapolis to go to my senior prom Saturday night. And <laughs> I ended up winning prom king, you know, had a, a, a fun night and was out late. And, you know, partied a little bit. And then the following morning, Sunday, I fly back to New Jersey. And within like an hour or two, we play an Atari set for Bamboozle. And I feel like almost immediately after we finished playing, we kind of just like went straight to a cab and went to JFK. (laughs) Yep. And flew to London, had like a 10-hour layover. And I remember I was sick. So... Chris Rowe and I had gotten like a Hilton day bed at Heathrow. Yeah. And you and Brian went and explored. Brian and I were like, screw this, man. We got 10 hours in London. We're going to go have fun. (laughs) Right. Which that still to this day is one of my biggest regrets because I have not, I've not been to London. I mean, out of all the places we've gone, I had that 10 hour window of time to go explore, but I just remember I was so sick that I couldn't, 
I couldn't do it. You know, as well as I do with like the touring schedules, when you go to other countries, I mean, you don't really ever have a lot of time to just kind of check stuff out. No. So Brian and I were like, this is our chance. We're going to be there for 10 or 12 hours. You guys can go to sleep. We're going to get a rail pass and just hit the entire right. town. Right. Which is, I mean, that's such a rare opportunity because I feel like most people don't realize that when we're touring in these other countries, these amazing countries that, you know, it's, it's hard to ever find time oh, or yeah. money to make that happen again. But realistically, it's just like touring here. You see, it's always airports and hotels and venues. Yeah. That's about all it is. Yeah. You know, that's it. You, I mean, you see the, the highways that you're driving on from the hotel to the venue, but that's the extent of it. Every once in a while, there's enough time to kind of walk around the general area where the venue is, but there's not, you're not. And you know, as well as I do that in, you know, I mean, in the United States, but also internationally in other countries, most of the places the venues are, are you're not going to want to walk around there. Right. Exactly. Like there, there have definitely been some areas that there's not a venue I right next to Stonehenge. Around in, but <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Which is great. Wouldn't that be awesome? But so, yeah. yeah so, no, so I remember Brian and I picked you up at the airport that morning and you're like, I want prom yeah. King. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. And so we, we, we get back to the stadium uh, we go up, and I remember that like we played like right before Demi Lovato or some crap like that. I don't know. Right. <laughs> but we went up, and we played our set. It was raining, but it was still pretty cool, you know? And, yeah, literally, I'm wanting to say 20 to 30 minutes after we put our instruments down, we were in a vehicle heading to the airport because we had to catch a plane to London. And so we get to London. Brian and I do our thing. You guys, you know, get a hotel room. And then we get on our 24-hour flight to Johannesburg, South Africa. That was crazy. That was amazing. That was absolutely amazing. I also remember before we actually left for the flight, after I was, you know, after Chris and I had woken up and we were at the terminal waiting for a flight, I was slapping Atari stickers all over Heathrow. (laughs) (laughs) So there was, you know, I I had put them on random places in the airport, and I even put them on the plane, like on the drop-down tray from the back of the seat. That's funny. And in the bathroom and ridiculous things. But, yeah, I I remember that flight. It was exhausting. I think that that was my first international flight, so that was something that... That's wild. Who does their first tour in out of the country in South Africa? You know what I mean? I tell you, it was pretty crazy because, you know, I'd been on really long flights before. I'd been out of the country a lot. But on that flight from London to to Johannesburg, it's a straight shot down. So you're not losing any time. It's the same time zone the whole way down. So right. I just remember, you know, it's a 24, 26 hours, whatever it was. You know, it's like watch a movie, eat dinner, go to sleep, watch three movies, eat a snack, go to sleep, wake (laughs) up and you've still got 10 hours left of the flight. Right. There's such a long flight. Yeah. I do remember that, but it was cool that our, you know, first night in South Africa, we'd stay at the Wasadi, the cultural village, which that was, that was awesome. That was like the, the most, I feel like we got to experience anything outside of just your norm hotel venue i just remember that. i remember the dichotomy of kind of they like uh, nancy picked us up at the airport shout out to nancy hillary she's going to be on the yeah. podcast at some point but uh she picked us up at the airport took us to our cool like resort in this little village where we actually got to kind of experience i mean i'm sure some of those guys are probably computer programmers and they were just doing it as a job <laughs> but it, it, it looked like real africa what you would think it looks like in your head 
So yeah, it was, then, it was I, awesome. I remember that Nancy that night she invited us to come out to that uh, that casino, but I think you and I are the only ones that went, or maybe you and me and Brian. Yeah, 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 because we met with the uh, the crash car burn guys yeah. and their their crew, and um, yeah, I saw pictures of that. I forgot all about that. I forgot that it was at a casino. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was uh, that was surreal. That whole thing, and Nancy was awesome. She was she was mom. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. Like, well, I, I still they, talk to they, Nancy. They job. I talk to Nancy all the time, man. Like we're still really really close. She's in uh, she's in Australia now, so. Oh, that's awesome. I think I knew that. I haven't talked to her in a while, but I, you know, I. I keep up with what she does as far as through facebook so i'm, I'm sure she'd, she'd love to hear from guys. you she'd love to hear from you man you should should hit her up i'll have to reach out to her after this because it's been a long time and i know crash car burn just yesterday opened up for seether in Joburg or cape town i'm not sure which one it's really big show yeah. i saw the pictures on facebook but which is awesome i'm happy for those guys those guys are great man i still i miss those guys a lot we made see man i've done so much touring in my life but th- that tour to me i just I th- was it maybe just the people we met that were so great? It had to have been because everyone involved in that tour. I mean, as far as like everyone that were part of the production crew who handled us and everyone from Crash Car Burn and their crew, all of those people. I mean, we're talking 20, 30 people that were with day after day for a couple weeks and they're all just the nicest people. Yeah. So fantastic. They made the whole experience, you know, that much better because it was so much hospitality and everyone was you know willing to give you the shirt off their back kind of thing just nice humble people and it was it's a cool experience do i do i have this right in my head i want you to to fix this because this is a story that i've told a few times and i don't know if it's true or not uh when we were in stellenbosch which is like out that suburb of cape town where that college was at um you were hungry and you missed catering so you went you went out and bought something from the streetcar guy. Does this ring a bell? No. <laughs> okay. Brian and I have talked about this, and I, I, I still don't know if we imagined it or what, but you were hungry. You missed catering for some reason. You went out and bought this thing from the streetcar guy and said it was really good, and then Nancy told you that it was dog. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. I absolutely remember that now. Um, We've told that story a million times, and I'm always like, it, did it actually happen, or am I imagining that it happened? Yeah, no, that absolutely did happen. And I, I guess still to this day, I don't know if if Nancy was just, like, fucking with me or if it actually was dog, but I'm fairly certain I'd eat it either way. <laughs> <laughs> It's like I'm not going to take the chance. I guess there's a, a large possibility that it is, so. Yeah. Whatever. Not, and I don't I don't I don't it. think she was messing with you, man. I, I think I mean she looked kind of mortified when you had it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't I mean I don't get maybe I don't get the South African humor, but it was I think you had a dog on a stick <laughs> and you didn't you didn't need to eat it. Yeah, I think you're right. You're probably right. Because I remember oh, uh, who was it that they had they had like under oath in South Africa, like not long before us, and I I remember I won't throw anyone under the bus. Haste the day was there, like when we were there, or like a week after we left. I think. Wait, wait, who was there? Haste the day. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. I think it was after we left, or like we overlapped by like 
a day or something because I had spoken with yeah. them. I spoke with them and like, hey, we should hang out. And like, oh, we're leaving the day you guys get there. Like, it just didn't work out. That's right. I remember that. Because I was a big Haste of Day fan at that time. I was like, oh, shit, this would be awesome if we get to yeah. hang out with these guys. Yeah, that's funny. That was a great tour. I don't remember where we went after that, though. Like, that's, I, I remember, like, the big tours. I remember South Africa. I remember Bamboozle. And I remember Warp Tour. And I'm trying to remember, like, some of the in-between. When there. we got done with, well, before we went to South Africa and did Bamboozle and all that, we were on tour with, just that club tour with Pull the Pin. Was that what it was when we were with Pull the Pin? Yeah, because we came back from South Africa after two, two and a half weeks, whatever it was in South Africa, and then we had another, like, four or five weeks down the coast and back to Indiana with oh, those that's guys. that's right. We had picked back up with them, and that's when, so we made it down to Florida, and that's we did that uh, the Jacksonville show during Hurricane. Yeah, Gavin and I talked about that on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, that was uh, that was a, an interesting night because I remember I had left the venue for a little while because there was a guy that I grew up with, went to high school with, who was living in Jacksonville at the time because he was in the Navy, and he had come and picked me up, and you know we just kind of went and fucked off for a little bit, and then came back to the venue but do you remember yeah. i don't know if you remember or not uh the first show we played after south africa after getting back into the country was in vineland new jersey and uh do you remember that marvin guy oh yeah 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 what was the uh what was the name it was like hanger something hanger 84 or something like that uh, yeah, yeah yeah i'll never forget because i felt like such an asshole i didn't realize that he was deaf and i remember <laughs> that he had come into the green room and he was just making noises like he was you know <laughs> holding his hands out or pointing his hands out and just you know i don't even know how to explain it it's just kind of like you know beaker noises <laughs> and, beaker. you know once he left yeah so it was just it was random but he left the room and i remember looking at like rob and, and Corey and gavin and, and the rest of you guys and i was like what the fuck is wrong with that guy <laughs> and everyone just kind of got you know pale face and started laughing like he's deaf <laughs> there's, a, there's a picture there's a picture that i have of all of us together at that yeah outside and he was up he, in the front. he's in the he's in the picture and i yeah i have some bad news i actually i can't remember how i found this out somebody that i met there that i'm still friends with on facebook that works at the venue or whatever but like last year he passed away Oh man, that that sucks here because we played there several times. I'm not really sure what was wrong with him. I know he had some kind of health issue, but uh, you know, R.I.P. to to Marvin. Yeah, that sucks to hear. He was a good guy. We encountered him a couple more times over the years. He loved you all know, the bands. He always man. remembered us. He yeah. was great. Like he was fantastic. Such a great guy. That's I just I just wanted to get that in there because I remember that that show was was pretty unique <laughs> that's a fun show that was a good show too yeah i feel like that's kind of i don't I, I feel like for me that might have been the first show to where i really started to click with the pull the guys and gavin and like gavin and i started hitting off and becoming close friends and you know rob and i really hit it off and became good friends so that was something that it was around that time to where the tour became much more fun for me because it's you know now we've got this band that's doing the whole tour with us and we're friends with them. So we're yeah. hanging out at the venue and after the shows and, and you know, they're all around my age. So we were all fucking off every night and being ridiculous. <laughs> and that led up to, uh, 
Gavin working for us, you know, like that's what yeah. was so cool about that. And Gavin and I talked about it at length on episode two. If anybody wants to go back and listen, uh, Gavin Smith is our tour manager. He also tour managed for pull the pin. <coughs> Excuse me. But, uh, yeah, that was a, it was a great thing. Cause like that whole tour, the, you, the domestic stuff and then the international stuff, I think it could be yeah. one of the, my favorite things I've ever done just because of the people that we met. Yeah, exactly. That's what, that's what made all of it. It's all those experiences with these other people that, that made it what it was but i remember being super excited when i found out that gavin was going to be coming on the road with dwarf tour for to tour manage i was like fuck yeah i get to see this dude again <laughs> you know so it was it was awesome because he and i we were in rooms together every night so it was always you know whenever we had a hotel or whatever he and i always shared a hotel room and you know we got really close over that tour and we were, you know, a year apart in age or something like that. So it's, yeah. he became a lifelong friend. Absolutely. Yeah. Me too, man. I mean, I'd like to think of him. I mean, you as well. It's kind of like my little brother. Cause Gavin after warp tour and all that, like he lived with me and like helped me with rock and roll summer camp and like helped me in Brian's right. studio. Like he just kind of became our intern, you know? Right. I always forget about that. There's like times to where I have or had all these people that I don't see anymore that, lived so close yeah. to me to where I could have been seeing them frequently and never did. Cause you know, I was, I was in a, a dark place when I was coming home from tours after the first, you know, yeah. year, year and a half of touring that I would usually, you know, when I get home, I, I was, you know, decently bad into, in the pills and I would come home from tour and the couple of weeks I'd be home. I just kind of spent that getting high and, and kind of fucking off, which was unfortunate, but I've, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that because one of the things that I really remember about kind of going down the road a little bit further, when we started doing warp tour, uh, we were driving out to pick Chris up at the studio in Arizona and then go to the first date in Pomona. And I mm-hmm. hadn't, I hadn't seen you for a while. I think it had probably been a month or so. And, sure. uh, I guess it was common knowledge to Gavin and Brian, but by the time that we got to the Grand Canyon, like I didn't, you were really down and kind of acting weird. And, and Brian's like, well, yeah, he, he hasn't got high for a while. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Like I was just completely oblivious and it, it really, I don't know, man. Like it changed my perspective because I cared about you so much. You're one of my best friends. Like I love you, dude. And, and everybody else just knew. And, I, I thought maybe I wasn't a good enough friend or maybe I just didn't realize what was going on because I had my own shit going on. But, like, how was that for you? And, like, if you don't have to talk about anything you don't want to talk about, but, you know, I know that there was a point there on that drive out to Warp Tour where things got a little bit sketchy for you. Yeah. So it was, you know, I was I was going through withdrawal when we had left to go to the Grand Canyon or to, you know, head out west. And at least not. I wasn't immediately, but a few days in is when I really started to get, you know, sick and uncomfortable. And, you know, it was really the first time that I had kind of had that kind of experience in terms of withdrawing from a substance. Like it had, you know, at that point it was kind of in its early stages to where it was, I was, when I was home, I was using daily and it would be that typically when we'd leave for a tour, I would be fine. Like it wasn't, ever something that affected me that way but that was the first time that it really hit me and i think that i wasn't very open about it. I, I didn't hide it necessarily but i wasn't you know going around talking about me doing these things so openly but 
I knew that Gavin and I had talked about it. Um, I'd brought it up to him at some point when Brian knew because we had a you know mutual friend who was also going through shit at the time. So yeah. Brian had found out that way. But yeah, I I remember getting like a six pack of beer to try to take the edge off to you know try to enjoy that trip because that's you know it was like a family vacation the four of us yeah. on our way out to pick up chris Rowe. we've got you know four or five days before we're supposed to pick him up that you know we were going to have this cool little road trip without any time crunch yeah. for once so i you know i was i was bummed that that's how i was feeling during that time but you know after like I don't know, after, you know, a week or so, I started feeling better. But then it kind of, once we got to Pomona, I believe that was the first yeah. date of Warp Tour. I remember we were, you know, at, we were checking in for Warp Tour and all the bands were there and, and vendors were there. And that's the day that all the bands get to pick some shoes from the <laughs> the tower of of Vans shoes. Tower of Vans. <laughs> yeah, it literally, I remember it was like a pyramid of, of boxes of Vans, but we had gotten there late, so it was like everything had been picked over already. But uh, yeah, I, I remember we were walking around after checking in and just kind of taking it all in because it was exciting. I mean, especially for me, this is, I mean, Warped Tour was a big deal. It's like, shit, like we're here, we're really doing this. I'm in California for the first time. Like, so much cool stuff was happening. And I remember there was a, uh, couple kids or guys my age that were walking around outside the fence um to where they had you know it was like fenced off for check-in and um there's a couple kids who were obviously interested in warp tour and they were trying to scope out if they saw any of their favorite bands and remember one of those kids hollered to like get our attention and you know asked what was going on and told them it was warp tour check-in or whatever and um, I feel like he'd asked if we smoked weed <laughs> and I was like, no. And, you know, at that point I was just kind of like getting over the, the withdrawal sickness, but I still asked him, you know, I was like, I don't smoke, but can you get any oxy? And, you know, that's, that was probably the, the first shitty position or shady position that I'd put all of you guys in. Cause yeah. You know, once we left there, I, you know, I've, I've gotten this guy's contact information. And once we all left the venue and went back to the hotel, I've got these two strangers who none of us know come pick me up at the hotel in Pomona. And I just get in the car. You, I remember you told me because I was kind of I always kind of felt like the dad figure. And I don't know if that was how you guys felt, but I always wanted to keep everything on the up and up. And you're like, Oh, my friend's coming to pick me up. I'm like, you have a friend in Pomona. Well, sure. <laughs> right. Like the whole thing was absolutely sketchy. Cause I jumped in this car with these two people who I didn't know. And none of you guys knew. And I know that for you, especially you talked with my mom and dad quite a bit. Yeah. They're always asking you to keep an eye on me. So they, was, they would text me daily sure. to see how you were doing. I think that might be why I felt the way that I felt because I felt like I had like this understanding with your folks and I didn't want anything bad to happen to you. So sure. This is a hard position to be in because of course they both knew at the time that I had, you know, some issues with substance abuse and they didn't know the extent of it. But I think that there was, there was concern. They're yeah. going to be concerned. Plus the, the 
general concern of your teenage son being out on a tour, you know, on the other side of the country. And it's just, you know, that's DNA. It's, it's part of it. But yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah. I'm a dad now and I can't imagine like Silas being, you know, 16, 17, going, Oh, have fun on tour. Like, I just can't imagine that. Right. Like I that's, I can't imagine that. I, it'd be, <laughs> it'd be a weird thing to do, but, but yeah, I, I, that was like the, the first of, of many shady things and poor decisions that I made over the years. And, uh, you know, luckily in that situation, um, I'm not going to glorify anything by any means, but in yeah. that situation, the, the, the person who picked me up, he and I actually ended up becoming friends and I would see him pretty regularly over the years from then on. And I mean, we're, we're still loosely in contact to this day. Um, but yeah, it's ended up becoming a friend under, under shitty circumstances. Um, but you know, I've, in his position, can you imagine being 18 years old and you've got this guy in front of you in a band that you know or <laughs> like asking if you can help hook something up? Yeah. <laughs> There's kind of like a, a peer pressure situation there to some extent, you know, trying to trying to look cool for someone if you're in that CD underworld. So, Do you remember yeah. uh, on the way out there when all of that was kind of going through, like the withdrawal stuff, you and I got in that massive fight in Arizona? No, I don't we were, remember this. We were at the car rental place when Chris was renting his car, and and you were hungry or something. And I was like, "We're gonna go get food as soon as we do this." And and you're like, "Well, I'm hungry." I'm like, "There's a fucking McDonald's across the street," and we just went off on each other. Do you not remember that? Oh yeah, I do kind of remember that because I was I was definitely still, you know, just fucking cranky and and shitty from from being sick and you know, and and I was a child. Uh, realistically, I, I was still. Uh, I was fucking 18, not 19 yet. And it's still just, you know, kind of immature. And I just always felt really bad for that because that was kind of when I, you know, you stormed out and that's when I found out because Brian's like, dude, he's, he's, he's having issues. And I said, what is he having? That's when, that's the day that I kind of found out what was going on. And I've always kind of, I've regretted that I, you saw the full brunt of the Chris, being a prick because I can be a big <laughs> asshole. As you've seen, you've seen me blow up on people. And, Absolutely. And I, I always felt very bad that I blew up on you because I didn't know the circumstances. So I'm sorry, Jake. I love you. No, not a problem at all. I never, I mean, obviously I, n- I never thought about it. Again. It was shit happens. <laughs> we played the rest of the tour. It was fine. So, so right. Yeah. I mean, it was a great tour. So do you remember any uh, cool things about Warp Tour? I mean, I know we met a lot of great people on that one, and we had some guests that came up and played with us. We did all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah. You got a tattoo. Yeah. yeah, I swear. It was like a who's who of, you know, big players in the scene at that time. I, I remember, you know, I was a big fan of Gallows, and they were on Warp Tour that same year, and I was, you know, I, I had to make it a point to to go meet those guys and, you know, luckily befriended them it ended up being that you know i got to know like lags and lee very well and then Stu and frank and steph and frank ended up tattooing me so i was you know i was starting to collect tattoos at that point and yeah. frank i loved his work that was great and i thought shit i would i would absolutely love to get tattooed by this guy so i'd approached him at one point and asked if he had brought his equipment with him to be able to do that and he had so you know we'd set a a date to be able to do that which that in and of itself was one of my favorite memories from warp tour because he tattooed me in an rv so oliver peck was on the tour 
tattooing and he was in an RV. I believe he was driving the RV, like following warp tour and, and doing tattoos for, you know, whoever throughout the tour. And, um, when I got tattooed by Frank, Chris, the drummer for Bayside was getting tattooed by, um, Oliver Peck. Awesome. And so we're literally just crammed in this little RV. Chris is getting his stomach tattooed by Oliver Peck and I'm getting my arm tattooed by Frank. And Chris and I are passing back and forth, uh, like a, a giant bottle of Jack Daniels, just, you know, getting loaded and, and getting tattooed, which is obviously a stupid idea when you're getting tattooed, but why not? <laughs> it made for a great story. So definitely, but I know that I, in order to do that, um, since we were doing Wolf Torn a van and everyone else was on a bus schedule, it was like usually we would leave before any of the other bands left for the day to get a head start on that long ass drive so we'd get to the hotel. But that night I ended up staying behind and catching a ride with Gallows on their bus to the next show. So it's funny, that's my only experience on a on a proper tour bus was hitching a ride with Gallows back to the next state. You know, had my own my, my first experience on a tour bus uh, is kind of a crazy story. I was on tour with the band Brazil doing Warp Tour back in 04, and I, yeah. be, I befriended the guys in Coheed and Cambria, and uh, they, oh, asked, cool. they asked me if I wanted to, like, hitch a ride to the next date. I think we were going from Quebec City to Montreal or somewhere, and I said, sure, and, and we're playing this video game in the back lounge, and uh, I can't ever remember their bass player's name. He's probably... I haven't talked to him since this happened, so it doesn't really matter. But uh, we were playing this video game. I think it was some Spider-Man thing on Xbox or whatever. And uh, he got killed on the game. And so he yelled in my face and bit my leg and made my leg bleed. <laughs> <laughs> and so oh, I, I got away from him. Rage. He, I think he was, uh, was kind of experimenting with some substance during the time i'm not really sure yeah i i think he was if i'm remembering correctly because there's someone in that band who was into you know painkillers and and oxy and such too that i'd found out later they were great guys uh, man i I had a lot of fun (laughs) i didn't didn't like getting my leg bit but you know yeah no no one would (laughs) (laughs) but yeah that was uh that was a fun experience and i remember um, meeting Shooter Jennings, you oh, know, yeah, like yeah. random that he was on the tour that year doing, uh, I feel like he was doing that Black Ribbons album, like that experimental. Yeah, because he like was on one of the sides, he was on one of the side stages and I always, I don't know, yeah. I, I, I'd been a Shooter fan for a while and I just remember telling Brian, I'm like, he's on a stage smaller than us. That is so weird. <laughs> well, then not only that, I don't know if you remember or not, but there was one day while we were playing to where, we're in the middle of our set and I just, you know, kind of looked over cause there's always so many other bands and people who are standing alongside yeah. and along the back of the stage to watch whatever sets. But I remember looking back and shooter was standing right next to me, just like, you know, getting into it, loving it. And I thought, Oh shit, this is surreal. <laughs> like, no pressure or anything. Cause he's yeah. right next to me watching me. And it's like, Oh God, this is intense. <laughs> That's awesome. And I, I kind of felt like that daily. I mean, you've got, Riley from Thrice one day standing next to me or we've got like Fat Mike and the, the no effects dudes and then yeah. the anti-flag guys and the undrove guys like we're <laughs> always playing before or after one of these yeah. guys are like the bad religion dudes and they're standing alongside the stage watching us and it's like 
Jesus, this is literally like all of my favorite bands, all the bands that I've listened to for years. Like they're all these guys are just standing here watching this. And it's just like, that was so surreal for me, but it was really cool when we were able to get, uh, lags to come up and he played you know saint demas several times on guitar throughout the tour and we had and like craig, the, craig uh, owens from chiotos came yeah. up and did the vocals that one day with chris and we had will, yeah, will that from was like aiden. our hometown show you remember will from aiden doing the misfit stuff with yeah us? he came out and did that was all the same day because yeah. that was like our, our last day it was the the indie date and you know we kind of had like you know, we went out with a bang and had Craig come up and sang San Dimas. Will came out and sang those, um, the Misfits songs. And I remember at one point, Aaron came up and played guitar on a song. That was on, that was on San Dimas because Chris and Craig just ran around. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that was, you know, big Kusu. And it's funny too, because at that time I had a lot of friends from school who came out and, I feel like I probably brought 30 or 40 people onto the stage. So we had like a bunch of people that I knew friends from school and, you know, like their parents and shit that were all standing, you know, along the stage behind me. So you can see in some of those videos and photos, like a bunch of the kids I went to high school with. It was, you know, it was a cool experience. It was fun. Awesome. But I also remember it was like, there's turmoil happening. So it was, we're trying to have fun, but shit was a little rocky and, you know, it is what it is. Well, hey, I'll tell you what, man. We've uh, we've barely scratched the service, and we're almost at an hour right now. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to keep these. I feel like there's so much to talk about. There's so much more to talk about, and I say this on every episode, and I think every podcast I listen to, they say the same thing. But uh, I do want to ask you a couple more questions, but uh, would you like to come back for a part two at some point? Because, we, like I said, we've barely oh. scratched the surface on this. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like. Uh, a part two is necessary. <laughs> so, so other than, you know, all the Atari stuff and all the time we spent together, like, what have you been up to lately? Like, tell me about bands, projects, like, what have you got going on? Been into a couple things. Um, I started, I started a band with a couple guys that, you know, played in the scene growing up that were also like childhood heroes of mine. So that was a, a weird one, but, uh, um ben the former vocalist for the band in the face of war he and i you know loosely knew each other and i had run into him on record store day like two years ago and um we got to talking and felt each other out kind of realized that both of us wanted to start a new project and we wanted to start a punk band because it you know it, as far as an indianapolis scene it was kind of stagnant there wasn't a whole lot happening and really wanted to, you know, try to, to recreate what was going on in like, you know, the early thousands from like 2000 to 2004, 2005. So we, uh, we started kind of piecing together a band, but, um, you know, we talked, we figured out we're on the same page in terms of what we would like to do. And when I left the record store, he was working at Luna records for record store day at that point. Um, when I left the record store, I was like, I really don't want this to be like just a conversation that happens in passing to where you're just kind of like, you know, talking hypotheticals and talking about the potential of doing something. So I went straight home and I recorded, I want to say like five or six riffs or full song, song ideas, and just sent them over to him. And he replied very quickly and was like, 
this is awesome. We've got to do something with this. And he kind of took off from there and got, uh, got other guys involved. So I ended up getting Kyle K Meyer, which played guitar and away with Vega and rodeo Ruby love and was a one-time member of in the face of war also. And I mean, between those two guys, I was, they were a big deal to me growing up. So I was nervous as shit going into, you know, like our, our first jam, but, uh, we got those two guys and Eric Fox on drums and our friend, Stephen Ruby. And when we started the band, I was automatically under the impression that I was going to play drums in the band. Yeah. I was just like, I have these guitar ideas and all these riffs, but I expected to just help write and someone else would play them yeah. <laughs> and I would play drums. But that's, that's not how it came to be. It was really funny. I remember, Ben telling me that Kyle has a drummer and I was like, Oh, I, I thought I was playing drums. It's like, well, why wouldn't you play guitar? <laughs> so it was the first time that I played guitar in a band and we, uh, we wrote some songs very quickly and ended up playing like our first show, which was hilarious. Kyle and Eric had another band at the time called Husky pups. That was, you know, like it, it was a pop rock band. It was more in line with like a way with Vega rodeo Ruby love kind of pop sensibilities but uh we only had like three or four songs ready as our punk band which is called uh uh um, is there nine h's <laughs> we had to put a bunch of h's for like for online purposes yeah so like for Bandcamp, i think there's like nine h's or something ridiculous and for spotify there's five h's because okay. when we tried to create the spotify account we were told that you know just uh is too generic we, we couldn't create that way <laughs> so we just kept adding h's until it was accepted awesome um but yeah the first show ended up being that we played two uh songs and then three husky pups songs just to like get out there and do something we played at state street pub and with load in and tear down the entire thing took like nine minutes <laughs> it was it was it was ridiculous but it was like why not we, there's literally no reason not to the bar we played at was like a block from the drummer's house we we're already there so it's like fuck it let's do it awesome but uh that that ended up becoming an awesome thing we recorded a record and put it out and played several cool shows um uh, and i also went down to georgia uh, cartersville georgia like it was a year ago, maybe a little more, and recorded um, drums for a band called Kyle Troop and the Heretics. So Kyle, I had met on the Atari uh, stuff, right? Right. So he I had come Kyle. out to, yeah, great dude. He had come out to Atari shows whenever we were in the Atlanta area, and you know, over time, he and I befriended each other, and you know, got really close. We became really good friends, and you know, had kind of talked about over the years, like. It'd be awesome to play music together someday, whatever. He was a drummer and a guitarist and songwriter and very active in music in the uh, Atlanta music scene. And finally, it just, it all came together. He'd asked if I had any interest in playing drums for the band or it just started as recording drums for his record. So I had taken like a week off work and drove down to, to Cartersville and did drums on the record, which was put out uh late last year early this year maybe it was early this year um but that record came out it's called fake songs it was a lot of fun it's uh it's 
it's kind of a, a gritty punk rock record. I like to compare it to the likings of like Lars Fredrickson and the Bastards. Cool. Meets like against me kind of thing. So it's a, uh, is a fun record, but uh, also had a, another project going on with a friend of mine who he and I actually met in rehab. Um, so when I finally got my shit together and got sober, I was living in a, like a, a halfway house kind of thing. And my roommate was a musician and a phenomenal singer. And, uh, he and I became really close and probably a year or two after we'd gotten out of rehab, we finally reconnected and started writing songs together and wrote some awesome songs, started playing quite a bit and we recorded some songs and, you know, we weren't very organized with our pace with putting stuff together and had a lot of big ideas, but as far as getting it to come to fruition, it was, it was hard to do. We're still still you know working on things we're uh we've kind of been on a hiatus for a while but we're looking to to regroup and get everything going again so we can put out this ep that we've recorded and you know start playing shows again and and get busy into that as far as uh goes we're on i'll say a hiatus okay. uh, kyle k meyer he moved to oregon and you know that kind of it, it didn't dissolve the band, but um, obviously we're, we're not playing shows, but we're still writing. We're going to put out another record. And then, you know, whenever he's back in Indiana and stuff, we'll play shows while he's here and stuff like that. But, cool. Um, I left Kyle Troop and the, and the Heretics, just, you know, logistics thing. It's yeah, Georgia. They're in of, Georgia, you're in Indiana. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, that's hard to maintain. So um, I'm just going to focus on this. This other project with my friend Anthony. Um, band's called Eros, um, which I don't even know. It's, it's E R O S. We might have changed the name to Eros, like A R R O W S. I have no idea what it is right now, but okay. we're going to be doing something under one of those monitors and staying busy like that. Cool. Well, hey, man, I just want to say that it's been great talking to you again. And I know we were texting the other night, and I've got some stuff that I want to record, and I don't know any drummers better than my buddy Jake. So I think I'm going to have to get you on my stuff. <laughs> I appreciate it. So, yeah, I would love to, man. So uh, i tell you what, man, um, we'll do a part two at some point in the future. This is going to be episode number eight, I believe. There's one before you. Uh, so we're recording this about a week or two before the actual thing will come out. But um, well, I, I want to say thank you very much for being on the show, man. This podcast is a lot of fun and it's great yeah, when I, I've talked to people I don't really know. And then I get to talk to people like you who we have a crazy history together. So, uh, yeah, I just, it's want, awesome. I appreciate you thinking of me to, to do the show. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, I, I want to get all my buddies. I haven't talked to for a while. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, absolutely. It's a good reason to, <laughs> yeah. But, um, thank you so much for being on that one time on tour. And, uh, is there anything else you'd like to plug or you'd like to say to anybody out there? Yeah, I just, I, I what I'm most proud of is that a uh, record. I'd like to plug it. So for anyone listening, uh, we're on, spotify and apple music and all of the streaming services that i don't know exist um i'll put the link in the show notes too yeah. so people can check it out <laughs> it'll be necessary it's uh with five h's yeah <laughs> but yeah it's uh i'm proud of that record it's a it's a fun one well i, I want to say that man uh i love you like a brother i always have and i'm, I'm glad that you love got you've got your sobriety now and and i'm glad that you're healthy and you're happy and and you just seem like you've you're doing really well, and that makes me happy. So thank you very much. Yeah, for, for, thank you. I appreciate it. 
I'm just really glad that you, you know, you're still doing well and we're going to hang out very, very soon with music or without Absolutely. music. We're going to get together. Absolutely. Got you. Okay. Well, Hey man, thank you very much. And I will talk to you soon. Uh, bye. <laughs> Take it easy, Chris. Thanks man. Bye. And there it was my conversation with my buddy, Jake Dwiggins. Uh, we got into a lot of good stuff there. Hopefully we will have a part two. I know I always ask the guests back for a part two. I think that's a running theme with most podcasts that I listen to. But uh, we're going to have Jake back. We're going to get a little bit deeper into what we were talking about. But uh, I do want to play a song for you guys from his band, Uh. I guess that's a U with five H's or nine H's, depending upon where you're checking it out at. But uh, this is their song called Stephen Explains Beethoven. So thank you guys so much. Uh, the response from these episodes has been great. Next week on the program, I'm going to have Franz Stahl, a member of Scream, a great legendary hardcore band, and also an ex-member of the Foo Fighters. And uh, Franz and I had a wonderful conversation. I can't wait for you guys to check that out. That'll be out next week. Uh, so thank you so much for coming back. Uh, lots of international listeners. I love that. Please get in touch if you're from another country. Let me know you're checking this out. But uh, So here it is. Jake's band, Uh, with Stephen Explains Beethoven. See you guys next week. Thanks. All right. So the movie Beethoven is just, like, riddled with inconsistencies. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road.